Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 64 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. It's fantastic to be back on the air as we count down the days until the official start of Super League 2023. But before we took into our guest today, let me pass over to my fellow co-host, Mr. Trinity Heritage himself, my dad, Lee Robinson. Welcome, dad. How are we doing? Hello and welcome back to this week's Heritage Podcast. Uh, we're getting back into it. We had 15 weeks off until last week, so we're, we're raring to go again. Uh, this week, we welcome an Australian who had two spells with Trinity and is the last player and captain to lift a first-class trophy for the club with that red, white and blue, that epic 1998 First Division Grand Final win. This week, we welcome live from Perth in Australia, Matt Fuller. Matty, how hey, are you? Mate? Thanks Woods. for joining us. It's a pleasure, Lee, and uh, great to talk to you, Jamie. Matt, we were just briefly talking off air. You've got a bit of your Trinity memorabilia there already for us. You're wearing your, your Heritage polo and you've got a couple of your first jerseys with you as well. Yeah, I've, I've got the uh, the jersey from the 93 and 94 season. And it was a special year that year because uh, we fought off relegation, which is huge um, in terms of staying up. And and I've obviously, what I'm very extremely proud of is the, the 1998 uh, grand final winning jumper from McAlpine um, Stadium when we beat Featherston Roses um, there, there that night. And what an occasion it was for the Trinity fans. Definitely. So, and like Dad said, it's it's the last time we lifted a major trophy and you were the guy that got the hands on it. But we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But how how's life in Perth at the minute? Is it is it scorching hot? <laughs> it's 39 degrees today. It's been absolutely <laughs> brutal. Uh, I've just come back from actually a, a trip in the UK and, uh, and I was very fortunate to get down there at Bellevue and, and have a look at the new uh, grandstanding being built and, uh, and in great progress. And uh, it was fantastic what the club and what you guys have done with the heritage over the years. It must, it must be a, a bring a smile to your face to finally see that we're actually having redevelopments at the ground finally. <laughs> look, I love playing at Bellevue. I, I, love, I love the crowd um, right on top of you. And as we know, like, you know, six or seven thousand English supporters as a Wakefield Trinity game makes more than twenty thousand on a, on a on a big stadium, and it's just the atmosphere is fantastic. Um, it's great to play in front of that huge crowd and uh, and the banter that goes on with it is uh, something that I, I really hold fondly uh, playing for Wakefield Trinity. 
Brilliant to hear, Matt. But if, if you've listened to our podcast before, Matt, you know that the first question we ask is always the same question. So we're going to fire it over to you as well. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Well, the first thing that comes to me is premiership. And then the second thing is my daughter, Trinity, who I named after winning that grand final. So I've got a daughter. She's now 15. Uh, she's absolutely a, a brilliant character. And uh, we didn't hesitate to name her Trinity after that epic grand final win there back in 1998. That's brilliant. I didn't know that. I, I mean, you told me that uh, a while ago, but up until you told me, I didn't know you'd call your daughter Trinity. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, look, it's... It's very special and, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to be involved in a grand final in my younger years um, at the Bulldogs. Um, but to win a grand final um, is something I'm very proud of, especially walking up those stairs at McAlpin Stadium. I still get shivers. Every now and again, I'll watch the game and, you know, gee, we made it tough for ourselves. We probably should have, you know, put, a, put the game to bed a lot earlier than we did. Um, but to Featherstone Rovers' credit, they just kept coming at us all night. Um, and uh, I remember on that night, Garen Casey had a really off night with the boot, which, um, you know, cost us a few points and uh, and, it, and it really let um, uh, Feverson Rovers back into the game at half time. I think we led 12-6 and uh, from then it was just an epic battle. It's quite an iconic game in our history as well. We haven't won much. Obviously, in the 60s, we won a, um, a shed load of trophies. Uh, we won the Yorkshire Cup in 92 and then the Premiership in 98. So we haven't had a great deal to shout about. So that's still... Um, still big memories over here and the fact that we got into Super League and we're still there we often look fondly on you boys from 98 Look it was, it was a cracking side and um, I guess the team that Andy Kelly put together wasn't so much uh, a brilliant team skill wise but we were very close off the field and um, we were very very competitive um, we had um, Roger Kenworthy at halfback who was a, just a, an out and out match winner he had speed to burn Gary Casey Darren Casey played absolutely brilliant that year. Um, and, and obviously we had a really good forward pack, but we just worked for each other. We believed in the cause and we believed that, you know, we could get Wakefield Trinity into Super League. And, uh, you know, we still catch up with those boys. Every time I come back to Wakefield or, or back to the UK, I'll make a special trip to go and see my host parents, Kay and Dennis Swift, who used to own Muscle World there in Horbury. Um, they're like my mum and dad. So I have very close ties and connections with uh, Wakefield and, and really appreciate um, the people that I've met through rugby league, but especially there in Wakefield Trinity. Wonderful stuff. We'll come back to 98, mate, but I want to rewind, if I may, uh, back to the early 70s. Well, tell us about growing up in Sydney. I know you're born in Fairfield. I know you went to St Gregory's School, which is a big rugby league school. Tell about growing up in Sydney in the 70s. Uh, look, I'll, obviously, um, I've just turned 53, and um, and when I look back on, on my childhood it wasn't, it wasn't the best start to life. I, I come from a broken family. Um, I was kicked out of home at the age of 14. I lived in a caravan on the back of the Minto railway line there in Sydney. Um, my dad took me to all my rugby league matches. Unfortunately, um, my mum was a heavy drinker and my dad was a gambler, so I didn't have the best of upbringing, but they did, I guess, the best that they thought they could do at the time. Um, and then I, I had a mate talk me into... Um, trying out for the Australian schoolboys. And I asked him what the process was. You had to get picked for your school team, then regional team, then state team, and then they picked an Australian schoolboys. For me, I was very fortunate that I went all the way through um, and made my first Australian schoolboys in 1985. Uh, and I met a great bloke who's no longer with us, Peter Maholland, who was like a, a mentor and a father figure to me. He took me out of the caravan and put me in, 
into and got a scholarship to St. Gregory's College, Campbelltown. And from there, um, I was offered a, my first professional contract at the age of 16 with the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs. Um, and then went on to re represent Australian school boards and other on two occasions. Um, so, you know, I guess my message to a lot of people is it doesn't matter if you come from humble beginnings or, or you're, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. It's, it's what you actually do with yourself and how hard you want to work. And if you're working harder than the next guy, then you will have opportunities. And if you believe in making something, you know, achieve something, you can do that with definitely hard work. And for me, going over to England, um, it was just great meeting blokes like, you know, David Topless, who was a dead set, amazing competitor. And, you know, he wouldn't let us go home on nights if we were playing a game of touch. He had to be the last one to score. And I think it took many weeks for people to jerry that, you know, just let Topo score so we can go home and have something to eat. But they're, <laughs> they're just, it was just brilliant. It was just, you know, and I, and I don't say it, um, I, don't, I don't say it lightly, but I, I guess Wakefield Trinity played a massive part in me growing up as a person, as a man, and then going on to play professional rugby league back here in Australia. Wonderful stuff. Great story, mate. Did you actually watch the game? Or were you sort of, did you just play the game? Did you have any heroes growing up? Um, yeah, I used to go for Balmain Tigers. Oh, so I was, yeah. my whole family went for the St. George Dragons at the time. I was a Balmain supporter. Um, my idol growing up was Wayne Pierce. I just love that he was a non-drinker. He was very heavily into his fitness as I am. Um, he was the ultimate professional. Uh, he was a great defender. Um, and then later on, I guess you, you watched a guy like Terry Lamb, who always backed up. He was a great, um, a great um, player in his day and um, backing up the players and, and scoring tries and things like that. So, you know, I think you can learn from watching it. But um, I think, you know, the game has evolved and, and has changed a lot over many, many, many years. Um, back then with the five-metre rule, um, it was tough. It was hard. It was very physical. We only had four subs. So if you got belted, um, you, you come under fire from your own teammates to stay on the field rather than, you know, the the head injury stuff that we have today. And, you know, and I applaud the rugby league around the world for for showing that they, they care about their players. And, and I guess, you know, it's different areas. I don't like to compare them, but I think keeping young kids safe and getting as many kids into the game of rugby league as we can across the globe is obviously a great thing for rugby league. You mentioned the Balmain Tigers there, mate, and a comparison and errors. They, they always kind of say that not many can too too many can compare from the seventies and eighties to now. But you put Wayne Pierce into today's game, and I think he'd fit right in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, it, hard work, dedication, technique, fitness. Um, he was obviously it's well known that he's a non-drinker, um, and and he's looked after his body. I ran into him not so long ago, and he looks still looks super fit. Um, and obviously, you know, your body gets bashed around and, um, you know, and, and when you when you retire, you, you've got to still look after yourself. Otherwise, the injuries creep up on you. But, you know, he was an absolute dead set legend in my eyes. He was hard. He was, you know, only a small man. Um, and he used to take on a lot bigger players. But his technique with tackling style was probably second to none. Did you manage to get down to Leichhardt much? Yeah, as a kid, I had a couple of school teachers that um, used to take the footy team out to Leichhardt Oval. It was one of my favourite places to play in the world it's a very small inner city ground um like an oval and then i was dreaming to play um for the Bowman tigers and obviously when i got my scholarship uh the st gregory's college campbelltown was affiliated with the banks the county banks and bulldogs whereas if you had to go on to somewhere like holy cross ride they they had, were aligned with the west tigers which they are now um but in saying that uh, you know we won a Cornwall bank cup 
um, as a as a fifteen year old kid playing at Leichhardt Oval, and and it's you know you in those days and, and still today they have a really good schoolboy competition. It's actually called the Peter Maholland Cup now, um, after the late Peter Maholland, and you've got the best schools around around Australia playing a knock a knockout competition. And obviously they get uh, the winner through the grand final. And I remember when we won it 26-0 against Lewisham Christian Brothers, I scored the last try and um, and it was something I'll never forget as well because, you know, you don't, you you, you play games and, and you, you meet a lot of great people uh, along the way, but it's also fantastic to pick up a cup here and there and um, and be proud of your achievements. You keep your memorabilia with the, like your medals. I know you've got your shirts from your Trinity days. Do you keep your medals from your, from your winning games? Yeah, I've, I've got them. I've got the two Trinity uh, medals. Um, we've recently just sold our house, so we've got a few things packed away. But uh, um, yeah, I, I don't give any of that away. And I've, I've got a, a good collection of photos. And, um, and you know, um, at the time, we kept a, a scrapbook of that whole year in 1998 and the wins and the write-ups um, right up through to the grand final. And, you know, you know, you can YouTube it and it just feels like yesterday if you see a picture or, you know, and as I said, Lee, you know, you've done an unbelievable job with the heritage of Wakefield. And in that day, I guess, you know, with technology and social media today, everything can seem like it's present. And when you see something, you remember it like it's yesterday. And I can certainly remember walking up those stairs to collect that trophy after beating uh, Ferguson in the grand final. Tell us about your pathway into the Bulldogs, mate. A historic club on, on the way back up again now with the implementation of Phil Gould, but he was there the first time round when you were there, mate. So tell us about your Bulldogs days. Yeah, the, the Bulldogs, I, I love that club. And, and obviously, you know, it didn't work out for me as what I would plan, but I played my first first grade game in 1989 against the Roosters. And I remember it so well because on that day, I played under-23s in the in the mid-morning, then I played reserve grade, and then I come on and played first grade in that game to walk out absolutely exhausted out of Belmore Sports Ground there in 89 to have a parking ticket. So that's what I remember. We got absolutely flogged by the Roosters, um, but I, I felt pretty special having played um, one of only a few people at the time to play all three grades in the, in the one day. <laughs> That's a rarity, isn't it? I remember that story about your parking ticket, but I also remember playing all three grades. That was a that was that was a quite it was, it was a big thing, but it was a rare thing back in those days because it was very rare to start in the the first game and finish in the third. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know it was great if you played reserve grade and you had a, and you had a good game, although although a bit short on numbers in a particular area in positional was, you would sit on the bench and um, even to just be around a first grade team when they're preparing for the game to listen to the talk to swap out of your your dirty jumper and put the clean one on you just you just grew another leg and I think you know I, I miss that a little bit today in today's game you know we've got under 20s and we've got a reserve grade but I really miss having the three games played on the one one game one day because you know if you have a good game you had that opportunity to sit on and get on to reserve grade or get on to first grade and and I was very fortunate that you know, the, the numbers fell for me that day and I ended up playing all three grades in the one day. And you something, I'm just looking at your debut game. Um, Peter Tunks, uh, Simon Gillis, um, Glenn Nissen, Greg Barwick, big Dean Pay, big, some big names. There was some missing because Terry Lamb's not around and um, uh, other, others were missing. Andrew Farrell's missing. But uh, some big names still in that Bulldog side. Yeah, absolutely. I remember in those days I was um, going to training and... Um, and just to fill in for Terry Lamb at training to throw the ball around. And, and you just felt magic. You felt unbelievable. Um, you learned so much as a young kid. Um, you, you know, you've been around these guys that you'd watched 
in, in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and to, to be beside them at training and try and learn what you could learn from them. And the amount of respect that young guys had for their for their idols and their peers in those days was massive. Um, it's probably, dare I say, it dropped away a little bit today. Um, but, you know, for me, to go to training, to be around those guys, and then to run onto the field and to to play, I played played out of position. I, I was playing in the centres. Um, we got flogged, but the occasion was fantastic. Something to forget, and and obviously the opportunity arose, and and um, and then you learn from that. I, I love the eighties in the in the ARL. There were some cracking teams, there were some cracking players. I'm just looking at the Roosters side you played against. The pack was Craig Salvatore, David Truella, Pat Jarvis, Trevor Gilmeister, Trevor Patterson, and Hugh McGann. What a what a pack! Well, no wonder I've had like a knee replacement and a hip replacement. <laughs> Tom on fifty, yeah, and it was a huge pack. It was a, it was a monstrous day, but I guess um, you know the no one goes onto a footy field that I believe playing first grade being scared. I was just excited about the opportunity. You know, you're looking at these blokes and tackling, and you couldn't believe that who you were up against. Um, and um, you know, it, it's it's great. And you, like you say, I miss that eighties, the late seventies, the eighties type of football. They were tough men. They were big. They were characters of the game. Um, yeah, and obviously today it's a lot more commercialised, not taking any away, anything away from the athletes. We just had a superb World Cup. Um, the English side um, was, I, I thought, were going to be favourites to take on the Australian side and probably give them a bit of an upset, but didn't pan out that way. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, the I don't like to compare areas and I just think that, you know, if you take your opportunities that you learn from playing rugby league and you put them into your afterlife, after rugby league, um, you're still going to be successful. Good stuff, mate. Yeah, I'm um, just looking at Joe Lydon and Martin Fire played against you when you came on in three quarters as well. So uh, some of some uh, British power. Uh, did you have many dealings with Phil Gould back in the day? Because he was the first grade coach. Did you have any dealings with Gus? No, not really at all. Like you knew, obviously, his status in the game and what he'd done at Penrith. And I think he's just keeps evolving every year. You know, if you fast forward to see what he's doing with the Bulldogs now, and they're purposely going after the guys from Penrith that they can't fit into the salary cap, which is such a smart move. If they've got to be one of the NRL, you know, improvers this season for sure. Um, they might be a little bit light on depth if they get injuries, but if they can keep the core and and the the, the core and the nucleus of their good players on the pitch, they're going to be very competitive this year. And I think it's a very, very smart way to improve your side, going after a team that's been so dominant in the last three years as the Penrith Panthers have. We've all watched them play and, and you know, they're just mesmerising to say, do you watch the Penrith Panthers? They're working as a team. A lot of those kids have played together um, from their junior footy and have such great combinations. And if you, um, you know, obviously with the salary cap, even though it's increasing, um, they can't keep all their players. And I think, you know, very, very kudos to um, the Bulldogs that have gone after them. Who was your reserve grade coach of this era? Anybody we know? Sorry, mate? Your reserve grade. Obviously, you've only played a couple of games in this era. When you were playing reserve grade, who was your coach? Anybody we know? Um, who was No, I can't remember the reserve grade coach. I had a guy you would know who won the, when we won the under-23s, um, Jeff Robertson. Yeah, he yeah. No big Robbo. He was a tough guy. He used to play oh, with the long, flowing hair, big yeah. beard, tough as they come, straight, hard runner, um, and he was a man's man. He he took no crap whatsoever. He's told it how it was. I remember that year we won the premiership. We'd lost the, uh, we'd lost so many games that we were sitting on the bottom of the ladder. And he just called us in, carton of beer, 
um, in the change rooms, right? A face to face, hard conversation. And, you know, but you walked out of that thinking, you know, maybe that you weren't as good as you thought you were. Anyway, we went on to win nine games straight and beat Parramatta in the grand final. Um, and it was all down to, you know, self awareness and self reflection after one of Robbo's sensational uh, speeches. He came and played for Halifax over here back in the mid 80s, and he was quite phenomenal then. I remember his wild hair and big long beard. Well, Lee, here's one for you, and, and something your listeners may not know. I had two stints over there, obviously, way through Trinity, and Halifax is the only team I never played against. All right, so interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was suspended in one game and uh, injured in another. <laughs> you only you, you didn't play many games for the Bulldogs in your three years. How come you left the Bulldogs for the Dragons? What was that story? Well, it's a funny one. It's um, I actually, you know, you look back on a, on a career and you look at sliding doors. Um, we'd won the premiership, um, and and as you mentioned, mate, the Bulldogs had an unbelievable team. Um, I, I developed late. Um, I got an offer for twenty thousand dollars at the time to go to the Roosters. I had no parental guidance. I, I had no representation. I stuffed it up, totally stuffed the meeting up, um, and um, so I was actually off on my way to the Roosters. They wanted me to, and they identified me at the time. I think I was playing loose forward and they wanted me as a hooker um, where I played most of my career in the top grade. But um, yeah, and then and then I, I was stuck without a club and I, and I got a phone call from uh, St. George Dragons. And um, I remember at the time, Smith said to me, um, hey, look, if you're not fit, you can basically F off. And uh, thank God um, I went to training. I kept training all the way through. I was prepared. And um, I ended up playing about nine games for the Dragons that year. Um, back then, I just kept, unfortunately uh, for me, um, I wasn't educated. I kept chasing the money and um, South Sydney Rabbitohs come knocking. And um, I got more pay to go to South Sydney. I was having a cracking season until I broke my eye socket and cheekbone. And then uh, I signed a, a very lucrative contract with, uh, with uh, the Western Reds here in Perth. And they had no competition in the 94 season. Uh, and that's hence how I ended up playing at Wakefield Trinity when they moved half the team across to the UK to keep playing while um, they put the, together the team for the inaugural season of 95. Just just rewinding a little bit there, Matt. Signing for the Dragons, how much did that mean to your family being a, being a Dragons, mostly Dragons-related family? Well, it was, it was great, especially, you know, my dad and my brother Paul. You know, my brother Paul at the time um, was playing at South Sydney and, and when I played at the Dragons, I think, you know, we're only, we're only set of a few brothers that been got into a punch-up in the field and got <laughs> sent bin to the sin bin. And I remember after the game, he, you know, he, he, he was a bit peeved that, that um, his little brother gave him a clip over the head. Um, but in saying that, the Dragons were a great club. Um, I worked my butt off. Um, they had a cracking team. If you remember, they went to the 92 and 93 grand final. Again, couldn't break into the side. Uh, wasn't good enough. And... Um, and yeah, and then and basically went on to play nearly every game for the South Sydney Rabbitohs until my injury, and then um, signed a big contract with Peter Maholland to go to the Western Reds, where I played the most games for the Reds uh, throughout, you know, 59 and then plus trials and, and other competitions, World Sevens and whatnot. But as I said, the experience that I got from going as a 23-year-old across to the UK, not having travelled before, um, was a great experience. You grew up very quickly. Uh, especially being around men in a tough era. But I'm so grateful that I had that full year of first grade under my belt before I went to Wakefield Trinity back there in 93, 94. 
And you, you, you talk about them three historic clubs, Bulldogs, Dragons and Rabbits, all before the age of 23. That's a fantastic grounding for you as well in, in rugby league. Look, I'm kind of like a guy that is extremely positive. I, you know, in fairy tales, you wish you went to one club and you played your whole career and, you know, and they, they cheered you off at the end of the career. I, I don't believe in fairy tales. And, and obviously at the time, I was still learning my trade. I, I worked damn hard. I was always one of the fittest guys in any footy team that I played in. But I had a lot to learn. I was probably, you know, probably had a bit of a chip on my shoulder where I come from, um, being kicked out at the age of 14, not having that parental guidance, not having really a mentor. But later on when I met like Peter Mulholland and then those coaches, I see that as a benefit for me. All the way through grade, you get these different personalities, different coaches. Um, today, we know that they're more of a person manager rather than a team manager. Um, but back then, it was certainly about you know, the culture of drinking, the culture of being a man, the culture of the after the game, the culture of, you know, training and everything like that. But the old tough man, it was a tough era, but um, you certainly, uh, you grew up very quickly. And for me, I'm lucky that, you know, from 90, 93 on to I finished my career in 2000, I, I think I played one reserve grade game. So that's something I'm extremely proud of that it, it fell into place and, you know, not from chance, but from hard work and um, having people believe in what you do. Superb stuff, Matt. And you mentioned just very briefly the rabbits. You, you had quite a bad facial fracture. How how did injuries at a young age affect you? Well, I had bad knees um, pretty much my whole career, and I and I learned how to train around them and um and and how to to manage that. I, I think I tore my first meniscus um when I was seventeen year old playing at St Gregory's College, Campbelltown. Um, back in those days, certainly different to today. The technology and the guys who are our strength and conditioning coaches have learned so much more than what we had before of just lifting heavy weights, running on road running and, and things like that. I mean, back in the day, you talk about Lee, you talk about the 80s, you know, there was a lot of garbologists running around because that's how they kept fit. They ran from bin to bin and emptying, you know, the rubbish and that's how they kept fit. And um, obviously, you know, your joints aren't meant to be you know, under load constantly and running on roads and that. But that's how it was. Mine, mine was probably weakened from that. And, um, you know, uh, I had a lot of trouble, especially not so much when I come to Wakefield. I, I, the first stint I come to Wakefield, I had the uh, a scrum cap on because I had that, you know, the, the cheek, broken cheekbone and the eye socket. But I also had a, a groin injury, which really hampered me. And uh, I think at times there, I think Topo threatened to send me back home when I was playing shithouse in the early days. But, uh you know, again, through hard work and, and the physios and and, every, and all the support staff there at Wakefield Trinity got me on the field and, and I moved to um, Hooker where I felt most comfortable um, and then it just, you know, you build from there and your confidence builds. Had you heard of Wakefield before? Yeah, I certainly did. Um, you know, two of the guys that were also up as idols for me was Ray Price and, and uh, Wally Lewis and I know they both had stints. And, uh, you know, back in the early day, you guys probably, it was huge. The Challenge Cup finals, you know, we used to watch that every year and you would actually see the Aussie players that went across. I mean, if you look at one, I think it rings a bell when I was a kid, was Peter Sterling up up, up against um, one of his former teammates, Brett <laughs> Kenny. And uh, I think, you know, definitely was one of them was Wigan. I can't remember the other team, but the um, we used to watch it all the time. We, we thought it was absolutely brilliant. And um, and to get the play in the Challenge Cup Grand Final, which a, a few of my mates have done, said that you know it's second to none. The atmosphere, um, you know, in '93 or '94, I went to one the one where Wigan had had beaten Leeds um, there down there in London. So 
you know, it was a fantastic atmosphere. You love you, you guys in the North Finland love your rugby league. And it's something that, you know, I never took lightly going across. And I know some of the stigma with Aussie guys going over at the end of their career um, was a bit of a holiday. But for me, I, I was still young enough and um, and I certainly knew that I was coming back to to the Western Reds. And unfortunately, uh, at the end of, end of that stint in 97, they they folded and they... they um, you know, they formed the Melbourne Storm. And out of that, I went back to play at Wakefield Trinity. And uh, it was a split second decision that I, I spoke to Andy Kelly after that grand final. And uh, not many people know this, but I'd actually I'd actually spoken to Andy and said, look, I'm very goal-orientated. And I remember the great Terry Lamb once said to me, you can't call yourself a first-grade rugby league player until you've played 100 first-grade games. And I was a little bit shy of that 100. I think I was sitting in the high 80s at the time. And Wakefield had just won um, the grand final. Um, Trinity are going to get elevated to Super League. Andy Kelly wanted me to lead that side that year. And I said, mate, I want to go back and I want to have another year in the NRL. And um, and then I had changed my mind. And this is the part that people don't know, Lee, is that I'd actually changed my mind and, and rang him up and said, no, nah, I want to come back to Wakefield Trinity. Uh, don't worry about the 100 first grade games. And he said, sorry, mate, I'm quite as full. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you say that before. Just rewind, mate, back to September '93 when you arrived at Wakefield. Do you remember your debut? Yeah, I do. I remember it really well. It's, I mean, we played at Bellevue. I remember playing up uh, against um, the Wigan, and you know they had a great team, and and you know their big strong forward pack, and you know your first game there, and um, I scored, I scored a try, so I got over, I got over the try line on that occasion, um, and uh, I think it was yourself. I think someone. I think with Lee, you're taking photos in those days. That was my dad, my father. Oh, your dad, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I met with him and he actually gave me um, a picture of me scoring the try and, and fending yeah. off Jason Robertson to, to score. So, uh, you know, we got. I think we ended up getting flogged that game, but we had some really good tussles with Wigan in that, that year. And I, I pride myself on that and I was able to lift when we played the, the strong teams and, you know, and have decent games. But, dude, we had some good players around us from the night that we beat uh, Wigan at Central Park. I think it was the first time, it was a Wednesday night, it was freezing cold, and it was the first time Wakefield had beaten Wigan at Central Park for 14 years. And Henry Paul, a young Henry Paul, just made a mess of Wigan that night, and we ended up um, coming away with the victory. And we played him a few weeks later in the Challenge Cup, and uh, we had him on toast until yours truly here threw an intercept pass. And um, <laughs> Nigel Wright ran about... 50 metres and scored and turned the game for Wigan. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't to be. Yeah, happy days, happy days, mate. We always ask this to various people. I don't know what your memory is like, but it's 30 years ago now. Do you remember your, your, your team on your debut back in against Wigan in 93? Well, I do, because I've got the programme in front of me. <laughs> so, you know, a bit of, a bit of a research. Huh? Um, Henry Paul was at fullback. Gary Spencer was five-eight. Billy Conway. You know, you had Nigel Bell and uh, some of those guys are in, in my team when we were talking about a bit later. But, uh, you know, I just remember Henry Paul and what a game he had that night. Um, and I remember talking to H um, not long after that because it was that game that actually got him noticed um, and Wigan come knocking. And we, we sat down and he and he'd said to me, you know, you're going to the Western Reds and, and Henry Paul was supposed to make his debut for, for the Auckland Warriors. And, um, but it was offered like something like ridiculous money, a hundred thousand pounds to stay in England. And I think, you know, at the time he was only on 
20 odd thousand dollars to play for Auckland Warriors. So in the end, he stayed, and and that's how he became, you know, and and a home, a, probably a name, you know, a home name in England playing for um, for Wigan. And then later on, obviously, he played for, um, you know, Great Britain in the sevens. I saw him in the sevens in Hong Kong yeah. once. Um, and a great bloke and a great player. That that game you're talking about was all back into the season. You, you played Wigan three times that year. Your debut was September 93, um, before Henry Paul had arrived. Right. <clears throat> so that, that, was the, that was the game I was talking about. You, you fall back that night with Gary Spencer. Yeah. Um, your wingers, Andy Wilson, Gary Christie. Yeah. Centres, and uh, Andy Mason, Richard Goddard. Halfbacks, Lee Hanlon, Jeff Bagnell. Front row, Hugh Waddell, Billy Conway, David Woods. Paul rounding yourself in the second row. Nigel Bell, who's forward. And then subs, Slats, Richard Slater and Wayne Flynn, Adrian Flynn. So that yes, was the team at right 93. So you can see how it changed in that, uh, as the season went on when Henry Paul arrived. Yeah, absolutely, Lee. And, um, you know, I remember the, you know, Hugh Waddell, um, big fella, you know, still I can see him getting up, getting onto the ball, slipping me that little pass that put me through the opening that I, that I scored. Um, some great names. Like I, Every time I come back to to Wakefield, some of those older guys, like especially Gary Spencer, always takes the time to, to catch up. And, um, you know, Andy Kelly's been great. Martin Law is just a great club man to have. Um, and always making you feel welcome. Um, and I guess, you know, we, we always make the effort. And as I said, very close. I feel like I've got my mum and dad there with Kane Dennis Swift there in Hallbury um, and their grandson, Jack. It feels like family to me. And, um, you know, going back, when all the guys make an effort to catch up, I guess it shows you, um, you know, how important it was to the club to to actually, you know, A, to start from relegation in that 93, 94, and later on to lift the trophy at McAlpine Stadium and having Wakefield elevated to Super League, um, and which they can be proud of that they're still, still in Super League to this day. Yeah, man. I've got to ask you about David Topless, mate. He's one of our heroes. We, we love him here. Um, he was your first coach over here. Tell, tell us about your experience under Topo. Ex-Balmain as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah, ex-Balmain. And uh, well, David Topless, is, is everyone will know, was a, was a great footballer. He, he won a World Cup um, with England. Is uh, a, a Wakefield Trinity man through and through. But for me, he, I, I loved him because he, how competitive he was. I know, you know, when he passed away, I think he passed away before he was even 60, but, you know, um, he was so competitive. He, he was one of those guys that would, would tell it how it was. So, you know, he'd, he'd pull you aside and say, you know, Maddie, like, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, you, you're not doing this right or this is not working for you or whatever. And I, I think, you know, the time that I was at Wakefield in that 93, I'd played loose forward, second row, had a stint in the front row, played 5-8. Um, yeah, and then eventually ended up at hooker where I felt most comfortable and then things, you know, started to work from there. But, you know, David Topless um, was a great man, always had time to to tell you how you were performing and how you, how, what you needed to do um, to get yourself going. And um, I especially loved his training and his attitude. And um, as I said, he was so competitive. And that's one thing I love about blokes, what from any era that, you know, that doesn't leave you. Did you have a preferred position to play in? Yeah, look, when I was a kid, I, I played a lot at halfback. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was little and um, and five eight, um, but as I, as I got older, I, you know, the number nine for me was my position. I loved it. If I got told, I know when I went to to play at, at West in '99 to get my hundred first grade games, I had to play something like twenty odd games, and I played twenty one games. Um, 
Tommy Rodonikas, the late Tommy Rodonikas, great man, funny man to have around the club, said to me, look, there's no way in the world you're playing hooker for us. They had a bloke by the name of Cherry Mesher. He goes, but if you want to play first grade, you play where I put you. And I said, Tommy, I'm here. You can use me as whatever way you want. I just, I just want to play as many first grade games as I can and I'll bust my ass. I didn't know that meant playing front row at 88 kilos, let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, um, we had some, we only won three games that year. And um, it was a, it was a tough going. And, um, you know, we, we, we won three games that year. And it was one of the games was quite memorable, which was the opening of the the new Camptown Stadium. And uh, ironically enough, it was against Balmain. <laughs> and um, we beat them that day. And um, in the crowd was just going nuts like they'd won a grand final. But, uh, you know, it means sport. Sometimes the scoreboard and the ladder um, is, is for different people and the game of rugby league itself, you know, is, is for the fans. And and I guess if you're putting in 100% or close to it every week, um, then, you know, your true supporters are, are going to be uh, grateful that, you know, you're wearing their colours. What's your opinion on how the hooking position has changed over the past years, especially when you're looking now, the Cameron Smith type of dictator at hooker as well? Yes, yeah, massive now. They talk about it in the spine, don't they? I mean, if you go back to when Lee spoke about um, the 70s and 80s, a hooker was actually there to, to, to rake and to win the ball from a scrum that was, you know, 50-50 and put the balls put into the middle and the little bloke around the dummy half would pass and, and obviously things. As the game evolved, um, a, a good dummy half, you know, you, you, you're making a lot of defensive work, you, you, you're getting out of dummy half, you're the link between the forwards and back. It's a lot quicker. So I guess being a former halfback in 5'8 kind of suited me to, to um, a hooking position. I was only 5'10", so I wasn't overly tall. Um, I was only 88 kilos, um, and it seemed to suit me. I, I probably lacked a little bit of speed out of dummy half at times. Um, but in saying that, like, you know, I, I was rock solid in defence, and um, I think you have to be a good defender. You have to be quick between the ears. And, and you've got to be a good communicator because obviously you sometimes fans might not appreciate or don't hear, but you've got so many calls going from, you know, your right side halfback or your left side 5-8, um, you've got your lock interchanging and you've got calls coming in your game and, and obviously the game plan then from the coach. Um, and it's great. It's a position that I really love because for me, it meant that you're involved in the game for 80 minutes. Um, today, we know that most teams carry two hookers because of the workload and um, the speed of the game. But um, I'm very fortunate that obviously when I played, I was able to play an 80-minute game and something I still pride myself on to today. Who was, the, who was your most hard, hardest opposition hooker that you played up against? Well, at the time, I would have to say it'd be uh, the Waters, you know, Kevin Waters and, uh, you know, Steve Waters. They were a great family of footballers. I, and I used to love, I think the better or the high profile the hooker was you're playing against, the more I used to love playing. And I don't see that as an ego. I don't see it as a, a big head, but I see that as a challenge. I think when you play, it was like Wigan. Like I, I used to love playing against Wigan because as a schoolboy, you you would watch this great club uh, on telly and you just go, my God, I'd love to play against them one day and have that opportunity. As you said, Lee, three times in that one year was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I just I just think the better the opponent, um, the better I got out of myself. Um, I'd like to think myself as a footballer that I was extremely hardworking and consistent, not an overly brilliant footballer, um, I could read a game. I was really good at backing up, um, but my workload—I I, I prided myself on my workload, and um, and certainly for my teammates, I would bust a gut um, doing whatever I can to make sure that I got their approval before I got the crowd's approval. Superb stuff, mate. Matt, 
Matt, the, the majority of our listeners are, are living in the UK, although we do have a, a couple of listeners in, in Australia as well. Tell us about the, the Western Regs experiment. Obviously, it's a team that no longer exists, but you played 59 games for, for the Western Reds in the 90s. Just tell us about that initial experiment and, and what happened and, and how it ended for you. Look, it was an absolutely brilliant time. I remember coming to, to the Western Reds and, um, you know, they assembled a pretty decent side that year. We had Brad McKay, Mark Dyer, um, and we had a lot of a lot of players that were pretty much nomads, including myself, that, you know, been club hopping. And um, we had one guy, Peter Maholland, that was able to put a team together uh, and be very competitive. It was in that... In the 95, we played 22 games and we won 11 of them and just missed the semifinals by losing to St. George in the later rounds. But it was how close we were. We were one, we were one team in, in, in a big state dominated by AFL, uh, Aussie Rules Football here in this state. Um, and then obviously the second year and the third year was just under immense pressure from Super League trying to come in. Um, now, guys, you know, and I... And I, and I I have to give our listeners a bit of an idea. So when I went first went across and I and I played all my junior football and 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 um I was on you know a scholarship, then five grand with the Bulldogs, and then um you know ten thousand with um St. George and then fifteen thousand at South. The Western Reds had offered me a hundred thousand dollars to come across. <laughs> so for me, it meant I could be full-time professional, I could learn, I could I could apply my trade better. Um, and not that money, I'm not saying for one minute that money makes you professional, but it just let, it enabled me to concentrate on what I needed to do to, to build myself up and to improve my skill set as a footballer. Um, and then Super League come along and then suddenly the contract went from 100000 to a quarter of a million dollars overnight. <laughs> and it's, you're talking big money in the 90s. Now, I know for a fact that I was probably the 10th lowest or 10th highest paid player at the time. Um, so Super League threw so much money at the game, you didn't think it was sustainable. You didn't think that um, how they could pay all these players and, and honour the contracts. And all they wanted to do, I guess, which in the end they have won, is the television rights through Foxtel. Now, NRL and um, and uh, the ARL at the time and Super League couldn't get into bed together. Um, the game was in, a, in a, an awful position for three years. Um, and then, you know, obviously when they, there was no more Super League, um, but they had obviously won their battle to get the television rights, um, then it was back to the ARL. The Western Reds financially were, were doomed from the start, um, and then they obviously got rid of the Western Reds and they formed the Melbourne Storm. Now, the Western Reds didn't fail because it was not successful here in WA. They failed because it was set up to fail from the start we had to pay the um, the incoming teams from Sydney. We had to pay for their airfare, their accommodation. And at the time, we only had to pay for one team. And then they had to bring a reserve grade team in. So it was just a ridiculous amount of money. They were bleeding and hemorrhage money from day one. It wasn't sustainable. Uh, and that's why the Western Reds had jumped ship and had signed with you know, the Murdoch News Limited, because they were guaranteed that their financial survival in the game would be assured until the, the obviously until the Super League ARL battle began and then that they'll make the scapegoats. But, you know, they were the first ones to leave the ARL for financial reason, reasons and then for the first one to pay a penalty from um, the ARL. Um, and, and as we know now, 25 years later, 
they're talking about getting still talking about getting a team back here in the West because every time a, a, a Sydney club like the South Sydney Rabbitohs or all the Bulldogs or even New Zealand Warriors for that matter, they have a massive following here. It's always a great spectacle. I know you guys probably watched the last couple of State of Origins here in Perth. We had 60,000 sellout. It was great working at the games. The atmosphere was unbelievable. You had your Maroons, Blues, all the local pubs and shops were decked out in colours. And, and um, there was just the pubs were just overspilling with just absolutely uh, footballers and, and, their, and their passion for their teams. So WA can put on a great showcase of rugby league. Um, and they certainly wouldn't be out of place if they were to bring another team here. And there is some team talk about bringing back the the, um, the North Sydney Bears here to the Reds and playing, you know, a handful of games out of here and based in Perth and travelling back to the East. So hopefully uh, next time the television rounds come back, um, they can bring a team back here from the Reds. I don't think we're too far away um, from getting it to happen. But if it doesn't happen in the next round of expansion, because obviously... 17 teams in the NRL this year with the inclusion of the Redcliffe Dolphins is not ideal. Um, they need 18 teams so we don't have a buy. It makes sense that we're in a great time zone back to the East that they could actually televise uh, an, another live game on top of what they already do weekend-wise. And it just makes a total lot of sense to me. You've already answered my next question, Matt, if I'm honest, but listening to the logistics of it all, it's really interesting, but... Is there a hunger there from the from the Perth public for, oh. for professional rugby league? Jamie, it's massive. It's it's unbelievable. There's so much passion and pride, and I know that you know sometimes it gets forgotten about because you know we're so um, Aussie rules focused over here we're, with the Dockers and the Eagles and 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 two great clubs. Now the the Dockers come into the competition in '95, the same time as the Western Reds at the time, and but they're still here. Um, as I said, I, I believe that. If there wasn't an ARL and NRL war, the Western Reds would be still going around. Mm. Um, we we averaged over ten thousand um, per crowd at the Wacker on a Friday night. The following was great, and you still have people that you know still are quite fond of their rugby league. Um, the only thing to suffer, and I must say that the the Western Australian Rugby League over many years has done a great job building it up. The juniors suffered for a long time because a lot of schools were starting to sponsor. Um, kids or scho- offer scholarships to go and play rugby league at their school. And then obviously when they um, when it folded, those schools then turned over to rugby union and offered their kids rugby union. So not only did you use lose young kids to the government rugby league, you also lost them to rugby, to rugby union. Um, I think it would definitely be successful. Um, there's talk now that the government are on board, Jamie. So the government are on board and they see that how much the NRL and the and the Warrior have worked so hard over many years to bring um, rugby league back to the to WA. As I said, like if you look at State of Origin, the two two State of Origins we've had here, it's been a great showcase for um, for votes and bums on seats with two packed out crowds, sixty thousand, and people still talking about um, uh, the game of rugby league. And more importantly, maybe a lot of people aren't rugby league followers, but they've followed that. Um, State of Origin, a lot of people will follow State of Origin because it's such a huge event here in Australia, plus in the UK, that they follow it and they've got excited about it. And then, you know, the talk around having a team here, I definitely think would be massive for the state. And if it's backed right financially and the government behind it, it will succeed. 
Very, very interesting, Matt. And hopefully that's something we can follow up on in the future sometime as well. So if you can get me into front row seats for the Western Reds return in a couple of years' time in Perth, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to pay for accommodation, Jamie, so let me tell you that. <laughs> Super. We'll, we'll hold you to that, Matt. Just before we move on to, to the fantastic win in the grand final against Featherston, mate, you did play in that World Club Challenge series they had in 1997. Again, if listeners out there aren't aware of this, just tell us about this because it's it's something that never happened before and potentially might never happen again with, with that big tournament over in England. Look, it was absolutely brilliant. It was, um, I remember um, going across and... Um, it felt like a mid-season triple A, um, and um, we certainly weren't focused. Uh, I think you know one of the games we played uh, Paris Saint Germain, um, and Peter Mahollan was the coach of that team at the time, and we got beat twenty-six nil. And I remember Dean Lance, our coach with the for the Reds, um, throwing water bottles around the change room, and uh, you know guys would just knew that we'd been out partying too hard and, and didn't really take it seriously. Um, and um, and you know and we we won a couple of games and lost lost I think we lost one and then but on the home on the return home when the when the English teams come to Perth we were focused we were switched on and um, we won how we should have won um, but it was it was a great time because I know that you know traveling to the UK and playing football in your environment is so special and it, and it's great that. You know, the North of England is so behind the rugby league. They love their their local teams. They're so passionate about rugby league. And um, you know, we went across there and we had such a great time for the for the almost the month that we were there in the UK. It was like a round robin league table, wasn't it? All the all the teams were sort of mixed up into different leagues. You were in the same league as Castleford, Paris, and Sheffield. So you played you came over here, played all those, and those those three teams then went to Perth and played you back there, didn't they? Yeah, we got revenge on a couple of the teams here. They, they we played them at the Wacker, and um, you know they were tough games, but um, you know we we played how we should have played, and uh, and maybe they come across and uh, and uh, enjoyed themselves a little bit too much as well. Who knows? But it was certainly a great concept, and um, I think it you know it it certainly had um, some merit, but obviously we don't do it anymore. But it was it was something that was so unique and it was so special to be a part of, and. Um, Something that um, you know I, I won't forget because you know it was such a great time. Uh, losing is never a great time, but um, certainly the friendship and the people that we caught up with um, was certainly was. Good stuff. Before we leave Perth behind, I just want to ask you a, a question. I always like to ask people: um, What was one of the best players you've actually played with? Now I've heard you tell this before, Brad, Brad Mackey. Um, Brad Mackey. Brad McKay, sorry, Brad McKay. Played at the Dragons with you, played at the Reds with you, played for Australia, came over here at Bradford. Am I right in saying he's one of the best? Yeah, look, he certainly was, you know, very talented football. He wasn't a showmanship. He was very quiet, Brad McKay. But if you watched him play, he had a huge work rate, um, very elusive with the ball, a great ball runner, uh, and just an out-and-out out professional. Um, it, you know, again, you don't have to be a, a very a loud bloke and, and to be noticed um, but he was certainly noticed on on the field, and you know he played for Australia when he was quite young, and you know, and then obviously with St George, um, and then he went across to the Western Reds, where you know he was inspirational for us, and um, you know Mark, Mark Guy is another one of my favourites, um, Big MG. Um, he had that presence about him on the football field. He he had a lot of respect. It was a Penrith junior. He won the '91 Grand Final the same day we won the Under 23s on the same day. Um, for the Bulldogs, but Mark Geyer had that presence um, because he went through the late 80s, early 80s, and then obviously um, um, was such an imposing player, great skill, 
good offloader, um, but was very intimidating. And I think, you know, we all know the, the, the picture that comes up um, with every season um, when we have State of Origin is, is Mark Dyer face-to-face with Wally Lewis. It's just iconic. Um, MG is actually coming over shortly for uh, here to the West, so that'd be great to catch up with the big fella. But, um, yeah, two two blokes that I played with at the Reds that were just, you know, world-class names that anyone knew them, um, whether it be the UK or obviously Perth or Sydney. Good stuff, mate. 1998, mate, our, our big season. Uh, we were in the second tier at the time, first division at the time. Well, is, am I right in thinking you were a little bit reluctant to uh, come back over with us being in the uh, second tier? Yeah, look, it was um, it was one. Of, it, and I have to be honest. Like I thought, you know, I'd been playing first grade. Um, I wanted to keep that momentum rolling, and um, um, at the time, it got leaked that the Reds had signed a heap of players, and I thought I was actually going to stay in um, at the South Sydney Rabbitohs for that '94 season. Um, but they didn't want to sign you for one year, and then when the you know when they told us to go over to to the UK and play. I don't know how it happened or how the conversation uh, arose, but I ended up at Wakefield Trinity and I was reluctant to go because they were in the first division. But after a while, Lee, I actually saw it as a challenge. And I thought, you know, we've got a great opportunity here uh, to do something special. Uh, and that year there was a lot of talk around promotion. And, um, and then as a footballer, I guess once you get over, you know, what division you're in, or where you're at, or what country you're playing in, you be professional and you take that on. And each game you played on its merits. And I guess the season that we had was a brilliant season, led by Andy Kelly. And um, we had a couple of good Aussies in the side, and um, we had a Kiwi, Sunny Wackaroo was in the side. Um, but we just, as I said earlier, we we weren't a, an overly skillful team, but we were so we were close bonded, um, and we knew what how to work for each other. And we knew that we had an opportunity to create something special for the club and for the Wakefield Trinity fans. And, it, you know, we're very fortunate that, you know, that Wakefield is still in the Super League to this day. Yeah, it's like you just, you've, you've, you've touched on it, really. Um, we, we weren't a great side. You know, there weren't any sort of, yes, some great players. But Kel sort of uh, brought a lot of, not mismatches, but a lot of has been some of the clubs back. You know, you, you, Gallen Casey was unknown when he came over. Roger Kenworthy was unknown when he came over. He brought Gary, Gary Lord back in, uh, Andy Fisher back in. The March brothers were coming in, Big Mac, Big Wayne McDonald, Francis Stevenson, all these sort of guys. You all gelled together, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was great because it, it, it doesn't take much to gel a football team if everyone's on the same page, Lee. It's it's, it's a funny thing. And managing people, and, and I think, you know, we all know Andy Kelly, Um He's a great people person. And um, once you believe and you can buy into a program or buy into what everyone's trying to achieve, and for us, it was promotion. It was us for winning the league first and then going on to winning the premiership. And I, I think that year, the only team that really beat us a few times was Featherston Rovers. You know, they beat us a couple of times that year, and um, which probably turned out to be a, a good thing for us, um, for law of averages. But in saying that, um, I remember a lot of the games that, you know, we were fully in control. Um, we, we we put teams away quite easy some games. Or where I like it is if you're in a dogfight um, and, and, you know, leading that team that year, able to talk to blokes on the field and, and to get the best out of them and, and not allowing them to panic so that we could get on with the next set or get on with the next play or and, and, and get away from the scoreboard and, and just worry about processes rather than outcomes. And I think, you know, that year just... 
it seemed to work for us. And um, we had a bit of a hiccup in that grand final, but we seemed to uh, we bounced back. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we've talked to a few people from uh, that 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 season, and a lot of people you've you've just mentioned Featherstone were a bit of a nemesis. Hulkington Rovers were also a nemesis because they first three games of the season. Kingston beaters. Then there was that semi-final, and a lot of players stand out. They all talk about the grand final, but that semi-final against Old Kingston at Bellevue was a pretty special. Yeah, I, you know, I know that we scored 19 points that day. I don't know what they scored, but I know it was a tough encounter. And um, it, it's one of those things that sometimes you can play your grand final before you play your grand final. And I was just, you know, that was to get us into the grand final, um, mm-hmm. and we put them away because. It was such a tough game. I know, I can't obviously remember the score, but I know the week after they played Featherstone Rovers and I think they got beat by 50 of the points. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so we must have, you know, bashed each other senseless. And, you know, we had that week's break to go in there. And then obviously uh, Featherstone Rovers, um, whether it was a good thing or bad thing, but they had that easy game against uh, against them. And, and, and obviously it worked in our favour in the grand final because... Looking back at the grand final, and um, I know that we got off to a brilliant start. I think we scored three quick tries. I know Garen Casey had an off night with the boot, which, um, you know, cost us six points, which would have put us up a fair bit. And then I, I know that, you know, they got a try, and then um, I, I, I dropped an intercept right on half time, which would have put us in a really commanding spot if the conversions were over. But I remember going to that shed, Jamie Lee, and, um, and, I, and I said to the boys, you know, we're going into the shed, boys. It's twelve six. We we we've made lot. This game's hard enough without making it harder for ourselves. And I remember speaking to the boys that I knew Featherston Rovers were going to come out in that second half in that first 10, 15, 20 minutes and throw everything they did. And they certainly got themselves back in the game. But what I'm most proud of of the Wake for Trinity boys that night. No one panicked and everyone believed that. You know, no matter what happens, that we can still win this game. And I know that we actually got behind. And Featherstone were leading 22-18 with about four or five minutes to go. And then Asher Amon uh, had knocked the ball down and knocked it on, but picked it up and ran nearly from halfway to the trial line. I think you can still see me on the video chasing him down, trying to get the attention of the linesman to say that he'd obviously knocked it on. And just as Nick Oddy, the referee that night, was going to award the try, he, he, he had second thoughts and he walked over to the linesman who correctly told him that he had knocked the ball on. From that ensuring the scrum. I remember going over to Garen Casey and um, I said to him, mate, I swear to God, if you chip and chase and try and be a hero, I'm going to break your legs. <laughs> like, I knew that if we could get six tackles at him, um, that we might be able to crack him and, and you know, and, and it just, you know, I can sit back and say it panned out that way because it did. But I remember we were attacking the, attacking the try line behind 22-18, Roger Kenworth goes in and done in half. I called Roger to my right for a wrap around, and then I lobbed the ball over to, to Franny Stevenson, who who went in and um, made that celebration like a dinosaur. Which to to today, I've got no idea what it was on about. But you know, it was one of those moments that you know. Now that's when I had a little whisper in Garen's ear and said, "Mate, now you can be the hero, kick the winning goal." So it was it was it was great that you know when we got behind the try line, um, when they led twenty two to eighteen, I just asked the boys not to panic. Um, we can still win this. Just believe. Let's go through our sets. Um, it doesn't matter if we score right on the bell. It doesn't matter, but we have a chance. Give ourselves a chance. Keep the ball in hand. And um, and yeah, and obviously we you know after that 
Um, the knock on, we went back and had the scrum and I think we scored about on the fifth or, or sixth tackle. So they went for the short kickoff. Um, we got the ball back and I think I was the last one to dive the ball that night in my hands. I wasn't giving it up for anyone. And I just remember a couple of old Wakefield Trinity greats sitting on the ground in, in um, you know, Richard Slater was sitting there and uh, another bloke's name that rings comes to mind, Gary Price. So mm-hmm. Gary Price was sitting there and and absolutely bewildered how they lost the game because they come so close um, to winning that game. But I guess on that night, with the with the support of the Wakefield Trinity crowd and the self belief that the team had, and obviously the never die attitude and never giving up and and not just going you know we're beat, not knowing when you're beat, and going through processes rather than outcomes and looking at results is how we got the win that night. Yeah, excellent stuff, mate. We uh, we asked Francis Stevenson about the dinosaur celebration, uh, and he said something about somebody somebody had compared his props as dinosaurs many years ago. Him and Big Way McDonald. So uh, that was on Sky. So with him scoring the winning try, he sort of did. Yeah, we're not just dinosaurs. And and like you, you've mentioned, Slats and Gary Price. They still haven't got over it yet. Twenty five years on, they're still chuntering when they come back to the uh, back to the club. <laughs> yeah, well, I noticed that. Don't, you know, obviously uh, Facebook's a great thing, and you know the boys always reach out every now and again. Um, but I noticed I don't go to too many reunions with um, the Wakefield Trinity players, old, old uh, <laughs> Gary and Slats. And, um, you know, fair, fair play to them. And, you know, like I remember walking over and just kneeling down on them and I, I, I just saw the disbelief in their face and the heartache and, the and, and you know, of losing a grand final and not having Featherston promoted to a Super League. And I just patted them on the head and went on my merry way. But I tell you what, it was a celebration that lasted three days. Um, I tell you what, the old the old shirt needed the wash after that, but it was certainly um, you know going back to Bellevue and and going on the bus and then getting off the bus and and going and going back to the the clubhouse was unbelievable. It was a great experience. Went in the grand final and um, and you know something that I'll never forget. But it, you know, guys, it's something I'm extremely proud of. I can close my eyes and I can picture myself playing that game over and over. I know where we where we tore them apart. Um, getting into dummy half, going down the left-hand side and, and giving Josh Bostock that that ball where he scored in the left-hand corner. Um, Southernwood, you know, when he got out of dummy half and, and he opened the try-scoring account with that little sneaky try dart from dummy half. And they, Featherston Rovers were always on the back foot um, and then they had to dig really deep. And the things with sport, I just didn't know, you know, momentum's a funny thing in sport and, um, you know, they probably were, you know, one effort shy of, of causing a, an upset. Well, they probably wouldn't have thought it was an upset, but we certainly would, um, of winning that game. And um, I just thought at the time, if we could, if they had to get back from where they come from and they, they you know, they kept us pretty much, kept themselves in the game. And, and obviously, I said to, as I said earlier, Garen had that pretty off night with the boot. Um, you know, they, they they probably was just one mountain too high for them to climb. And, and, and the self-belief that the Wakefield Trinity guys had that night in themselves was something I'll never forget. No one panicked, as I've said plenty of times. I was absolutely physically and mentally drained after the game. I, I just couldn't believe that what it took mentally to keep everyone focused, how everyone's one goal was to get Wakefield Trinity elevated to Super League. And, and on that night, um, we pulled it off. You always, uh, for, for many years, I often felt that the 98 team was a, a forgotten team. Um, but we've, uh, from a past players part of you, we're really pushing you now. We've sort of got a corner in the past players bar, the Franny Stevenson shirt up there. But to me, you seem like a band of brothers, one family. What did it mean to you to captain that band of brothers? It was unbelievable. It was something I'm extremely proud of. It's very emotional. And 
you know, one of the one of the things I always say to people that grand finals don't come around too often, and guys who've played first grade have won grand finals or in your Super League have won grand finals. You 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 may remember the journey, and you may remember guys, special guys that you had a special bond with. But one thing you do never forget is when you win a premiership and what it took to get there and the guys that you played with on that particular night, um, you never forget. And I think with social media, um, we're still very close. Um, the Wakefield players have their own um, Facebook page, as do the Western Reds, um, and as do a lot of clubs now. And it, it, it's certainly something to be proud of, not to be forgotten. And, you know, it's blokes like yourself, Jamie and Lee, that keep that heritage alive, keep that going. Because for a long time there, I think a lot of kids coming through had forgotten what it's like to follow in someone that they looked up to's footsteps or to to have idols or have legends that they looked up to to for inspiration or to learn from. I think it was so easily forgotten and not respected. But I think, you know, now with social media, uh, a lot of people... Um, are pretty much in tune or up to date with what goes on. And especially, um, you know, that night is something that, I, as I said, I'll, I'll never forget it. I remember walk, getting those those tries. I remember getting back in the game. I, I remember talking to the team at halftime. I remember speaking about how they're going to come at us and not panicking. And then, you know, we're going to score, having that word to Garen Casey about not chipping and chasing from the scrum and trying to be the game hero. All those things come back like it was yesterday. And and as we know, uh, it was it was a long, long time ago now. But um, those things you, you hold dear and you remember. Um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, it's something I'm extremely proud of to walk up those stairs and lift that trophy. But I, I wish that I wasn't the last captain to have done that for Wakefield Trinity, which meant that, you know, you'd have more silverware in your, in your cabinet. Matt, you mentioned it's a long time ago. I mean, I won't say it's it's too long just to keep uh, keep the respect there for you. But wh- where's life taking you since? Obviously, it's been almost twenty five years now since you lifted that trophy. What what's Matt Fuller like away from the rugby league game? Well, it's still hard working, guys. I, I run I run my own gym, full of fitness in Subiaco here in Western Australia for over twenty years, um, and during the COVID period, the landlord, in his wisdom, didn't renew our lease. And that gave me another opportunity to move into a, a, a city gym, um, where a council gym, where I've been for the last three years running my own personal trainer and full of fitness, which has been, you know, I, I love it. Um, 12, 14 hour days, which I'm not shy of hard work, but my wife and I, probably the proudest thing with my children is that we started the charity, um, a fitness charity, odd, 20 odd years ago, not long after I retired in 2000. And um, to today, we've raised over $2 million for the sick kids of WA by doing fitness challenges. Um, we started off as a solo, just doing 24-hour endurance sports on a bike, on a cross scan, on a rower. And then um, to give it longevity, we made it a team event where now we these days we have about over 200 riders on stationary bikes, raising in excess of 200000 each year for the sick kids of WA. And it's just incredible how... Um, uh, uh, you know, my wife's and, and my passion and our fitness and um, the legacy that we leave will be that, you know, people that can make a difference should make a difference. And we're very proud to, to say that, you know, we've raised over $2 million for our sick kids of WA. Each year, Telethon raises in excess of $40, $50 million from the state, which is just an incredible fundraising event, which is televised um, over a weekend in October. But uh, I guess... And I said it earlier to you, Lee, is that, uh, you know, if you meet so many wonderful people in rugby league, you, you learn so many lessons um, from the great sport. 
you need to put them into life to be, and, and you'll be continue being successful. And it's a shame that some guys think that they need to wear a number on their back to be successful or to feel they're still popular or still feel, you know, they're in the public eye, still feel wanted. You, you know, I've, I've put a lot of time into my family, my business, and um, I have a close network of friends. Um, apart from that, I pretty much keep a lot to myself and um, I love watching my my son play football. Um, young Lockie, he's he's off to France this year to play soccer. You've got a contract to go and play in France in Pepillon. He leaves at the end of this month. Um, that was one of the reasons why we went to over there this year at Christmas was to set up the accommodation and to, to see where we'd be playing. So I'm extremely proud of that. My daughter, Trinity, is a, is a netballer and a trampoliner. And um, they're just just so proud as a dad that, you know, through sport, you can probably give them a few tips and a few mental pointers. But, you know, at times being teenagers, I think they've heard it all before. And But I certainly know that they're proud of what I've done in, in, in rugby league. And they know that, um, that I'm extremely proud, probably more proud that through my profile in rugby league, I was able to set up the charity. And, and that's what we concentrate on each year is giving back something to the community that I believe that's given my family so much. Superb stuff, man. It's great to see you say all that with a smile on your face as well. And I've asked this to a, a couple of guests we've had on in the 2022 series, but I'm going to make a point of it to ask the last question of every podcast in 2023. And and I just want to ask you, Matt, Matt Fuller, are you a, are you a happy man? I'm extremely happy. Um, and, I, and I don't say that lightly because I know in today's society, we have a lot of mental health problems. Um, Money is not going to make you happy. I think happiness comes within and the people you surround yourself with and doing what you love. You need to look forward to something. You need love to be able to love doing it. And you need to be loved and love somebody else. So I think I've got all those bases covered guys and I'm extremely happy. Um, I'm not arrogant. I'm not up myself. Um, I'm extremely grateful for where I've come. And I think, you know, a lot of people I speak to, they go, you know, you had a tough upbringing for me. I wouldn't change a thing because that's who makes you, you know, and I know, you know, I spoke to a mate tonight who just told me that, you know, he's got a 10-month-old and it's, it's just been going to be diagnosed with being blind for the rest of her life. So, you know, as a dad, I'm super grateful that I've got two healthy kids. They're well-loved. They're well-disciplined. Um, yeah, I'm tough on them. I'm tough on them for sure. Um, they're not spoiled um, just by giving them whatever they want when they want. They've got to earn it. And, um, and there's tough love there. But I think, you know, I'm extremely happy. I'm, I'm happy where I am in my life. I've been had same misses for 22 years. Um, my kids are fantastic, and I'm blessed that at the moment we're in a good, healthy. We've got good, healthy bodies, good, healthy minds, and um, I'm certainly happy to get out of bed each morning, guys. Matt Fuller, Heritage number 1,045, two spells at Wakefield Trinity, 52 games, six tries, and 24 points. And the, and currently, as of today, the last. Uh, player to lift a trophy in the first grade for Wakefield Trinity. Thank you very much for joining us on our podcast, mate. Guys, to you, Jamie, to you, Lee, it's incredible what you guys are doing. Uh, everyone should get behind your podcast. Um, without guys like yourselves, um, the heritage doesn't doesn't linger or last. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, I'm, I'm grateful that um, you set up the Wakefield Her Heritage and I'm super grateful for the opportunities that Wakefield gave me and um, enabled me to walk up those stairs and hold that trophy aloft in 98. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 64 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide. Follow us on Facebook under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage banner, Twitter, and now on Instagram, actually, as well, at WT Heritage Pod for further information and real-time updates on the podcast. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to Matt Fuller. He will be joining us again in a couple of days' time to reveal his best-ever Wakefield Trinity 17 that he played with, so make sure you listen to that one. I've been Jamie Robinson. Thank you all again for listening, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.